Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Times of like uncertainty or stress or whatever, I I, a little bit overcommit to something where there is a like a a number, like some some kind of like very clear indicator of improvement or growth. Uh, So COVID, obviously, things are chaotic. Um, I'd left my job and got a retail and a hospital job to replace it, and then suddenly COVID hits and things are tricky in a lot of areas. And uh, so I think I kind of like gravitated this idea of like having a number that I could see go up. And that would tell me that at least in this area of my life, I'm growing. Great to be back with you here, as always. At least once a week, I'm asked about how I managed to make Humans of Purpose work financially. The answer is that as a social enterprise, we rely on a handful of sponsored episodes each year to fund all our operations. About one-fifth of our podcasts annually are paid for by sponsors and promotional partners, which enables the rest of the year's content to be run sponsorship-free and totally independent. Our books are now closed for the year, but if you have a values-aligned product or service and want to reach our senior professional audience of Australian changemakers, of whom about 10,000 listeners tune in per month, we'd love to hear from you. Our wonderful supporter base here ensures we're regularly in the top 20 of the Australian management podcast charts. Not a bad result for an independent podcast competing against nearly 3 million other podcasts here and globally. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Aidan Rayner to the podcast. Aidan is the founder of Don't Move Until You See It, an online training platform centered on visualization training that he created, enabling exponential growth and improvement in chess performance. Aidan created this approach to chess training during his COVID-19 internment here in Victoria, and it has enabled the the bottom 10% of players in the world to reach the top 6% in nine months, studying just 10 minutes per day. I met Aidan when he became my mentee as part of the State Library of Victoria's Start Space program. In a way, on that day, he also became my mentor. We are both practicing Stoics, major geeks, fond of writing and quotes, and as well as having dedicated interest in improving how we think each and every day. I don't play chess myself, choosing the easy road to retirement at age 19, but as a lover of strategy and game theory, I find his work and offering absolutely fascinating and really translatable to so many areas of complex decision-making that we face in day-to-day life, including but not limited to organizational strategy. Aiden's ability to come up with something himself in his spare time that masters and grandmasters of chess are now using to improve their game is just mind-blowing stuff. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Aiden as much as I did. What a thrill. Aiden, uh, your second or third time in the Commons? Uh, this is my third, I think. And you're warming to it? You think you might become a regular? Yeah, and no, I mean, I'm enjoying it. It's good. Uh, the beer on tap helps. Uh, <laughs> cucumber water? Yeah, cucumber water. This is my first attempt at the cucumber water. So far, good. This is my third cup, so something's working. You look well hydrated and happy, so mm. I'm going to take it as a win. Hopefully not too well hydrated. These podcasts can get long. 
Well said. <laughs> Great to have you here, mate. Um, we'll give a bit of context in the intro, but, I mean, it's just been terrific getting to know you over the past few months and the, the wonderful work um, that you're doing in the chess world. <laughs> Thank Be- you. Before we get into that, um, let's let's talk a little bit about yourself and your journey and, and yeah. sort of what got you to the place you are at today and what made you um, find your passion for chess but also redefining how it's learned, trained and um, delivered good outcomes in. Yeah, Um yeah, interesting. It's kind of wayward and all over the place, as is often the the custom with these things. Yeah, um, yeah as a country boy from New South Wales, moved to the big smoke of Melbourne, uh, chasing musical stardom. Musical uh, stardom? Yeah, <laughs> so that was the plan. Um, was to be a producer, actually. It was the, it was the goal, and uh, that ended up in a band, and we were doing really well for a while, and saw a bit too much of the industry, and from like all different directions and kind of realized I didn't really want to be part of that and um, ended up in tech and yeah, that was <laughs> really interesting. Uh, tech started up for a few years and then stumbled into this. Uh, What's the transition like from music to tech where you're doing a lot of the AV side or digital side of the music? Uh, yeah, I was sort of, it was... The transition from music to tech, I just sort of fell into because like one boss knew the next boss kind of situation. I just got like passed over, um, but I really took to it. Uh, kind of the energy of the space and uh, the creativity was similar in both situations. Like the startup I was at was run by a musician. Um, so that helps, and yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of connecting on that level. And musical people are different. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if it's just musical people, but I think creatives. To a certain point. Um, You're definitely a creative. You strike me as a creative. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd sort of label myself that way too. Um, I express myself best through some format of something. And uh, while I can, like one of my vices, I can get a bit too slavish to structure. Uh, I, I've I, seen your notebook. Yeah, it's a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit structured. <laughs> there's, uh, there's like it's it's even next level. I've seen like those margin line notebooks before, but this one has just a whole bunch of dots, which is like just next level organization of uh, knowledge and and yeah, sagely advice in there. It's it's a very intense, very non pretty version of the uh, the bullet journal, and uh, yeah, it's it's very structured. It seems to serve you well though. It does uh, helps the kind of chaos of my mind find a a kind of framework within to operate. And Do you think you have a chaotic mind? Uh, yeah, I I am at this point 98% certain I have undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and uh, yeah, I find rabbit holes and all of that kind of stuff and constantly falling down all those things. So I work hard in my kind of world. I suppose to control my inputs, sort of... Um, uh, make sure that when I do run down rabbit holes, it's a superpower. Like that's, yeah. It's a very, very powerful thing to have that hyper-focus and that connecting of really disparate ideas and pulling this stuff together. But that can be, what's the word, um, like destructive. Of course. Uh, if you don't have some kind of framework or if you allow too much into your space. Is it also a little bit about choosing the right rabbit holes? Oh, yeah, though often you don't get a choice. <laughs> um, that's the piece. Like You're going down. Yeah, no yeah. Choice. If I could choose my rabbit holes, that would be great. Uh, so I, instead of like 
getting frustrated myself that I don't have that kind of, my brain does what it wants to. I try to think of it as like a squirrel running around. <laughs> uh, monkey brain. Monkey brain, yeah. And it's like, it's over there. And it's like, if the thing I want to do is this, like I want to do my taxes or whatever, and the squirrel is dancing somewhere over there dealing with something else, my opportunity, my ability to focus on this, on my taxes, is it's difficult. Well, no one enjoys focusing on taxes yeah. as an accountant. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's like a fairly like standard example. Yeah. But I think what, what kind of frameworks do you use to help you um, stay in the right zones? Well, the one, I think kind of using that example, I try and minimize, instead of like trying to use willpower to control what I'm actually working on or thinking about or what rabbit hole I'm going down, I try and limit the entry points for various ideas okay. until I want them. So I try and be intentional about which what goes in the funnel. I, yeah, exactly. Paying close attention to what comes in. Yeah. Uh, and that, I, so I stay away from social media as much as possible. I Even though you're really good on it now. <laughs> yes. That's been a strange, a strange kind of turn of events. It's the modern dichotomy of yeah. um, creative thinkers who have their heads screwed on right. Like, you social needs you, you need social, but you also need to stay the hell away from it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I try and be, like, with all my social stuff, I try and think about, like, from my perspective as someone who, like, in a lot of ways deeply dislikes the medium. Like, if I was, like, if, if social was to look and feel like something that I would actually use, like, personally, what content would I want on it? And that's the content I try and put out there. Yep. Yeah, you're con- I've read some of your newsletters and they're phenomenal. Thank you. Creative, well-written, clearly deep in rabbit holes, which I yeah. love. And I think that's what people love as well, don't you? Sort of yeah. Like someone who's willing to just sort of see, hey, this is interesting. Why don't I go real deep on this and produce something of quality that people can consume on that? Yeah, and, and something from a um, very sideways perspective, um, which I think has been a strength of mine in, in the chess space. Because everyone else in like that chess space has been, everyone else is like selling something or talking about or marketing or, or communicating ideas in that space, has been playing chess since they were six, uh, and they've been brought up in the same way. and And there's obviously a huge wealth of knowledge and experience and incredible value in what they can give, but they can't give what I can give, which is I picked up chess two years ago. I had yep. twenty seven years of experience before that. And of non-chess experience. Of non-chess experience, life yeah. Ex- general life experience. General life experience. So like, Sideways experience. Yeah, so like I see a chess concept and I go, oh, that reminds me of a bit from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie I saw. Whereas everyone else that's communicating in the chess space knew the thing before they saw that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. So. I think I'm like you. I mean, I think everything in life reminds me of some scene from an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> Absolutely, so That's yeah. the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Van Damme, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know, that is really explanatory stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so to take it back a bit, you kind of got into chess during COVID? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of time on your own just sort of deciding what rabbit hole do I go down? Yeah, now. good old-fashioned Melbourne. Yeah. Chess uh, kind of exploded over lockdown. Um and it still hasn't really reset. It's like it's... It's booming? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a little lower now than it was over lockdown, um, but it's it's not going away anytime soon. Um, and are we seeing an explosion in online chess or also physical in-person chess or both? Uh, both. It's primarily online. Yeah. Um, but it is, as I suppose anything, like um, chess kind of has... Online is almost the grassroots level. <laughs> like yep. there are certain points. Like, there are people that are taking it how counterintuitive is that? 
It's a little strange, yeah. Because, you, you know, you see these great 60s, 70s and 80s films of people playing like in the New York garden, mm. gardens, playing chess and these boards, and then you just assume that like down the track those people will go online or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's the opposite. It's absolutely. It's like it's weird. Like They may never enter a park. So yeah. Competition. <laughs> I mean, like there was, a, there was a tournament just like uh, last month or two months ago where they had like top 10 players in the world sitting at a table together opposite each other playing chess on computers. That's so they both weird. had computers between them and they were both looking at monitors sitting opposite each other playing chess. That's so bizarre. It's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. But that's the thing that's, that's what's happening now. Um, Might as well be the co-work space just doing coding or something. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, like chess is simultaneously this traditional um, very like board pieces and immaculately crafted like knights and things. Uh, this very traditional game and also pushing into this kind of esports space. Um, so you, exciting times. So what made you, I mean, you had a lot of options. People yeah. did lots of different things during COVID. Why chess for you? Um, I actually don't know why I decided to pick that up. I Probably like most people did, I stumbled onto a YouTube video somewhere. Yeah. Uh, probably Argan Yeah, you just start playing on random platforms? Or? Yeah, just start messing up. Like, I think most people, I don't know, I won't say most people, I think a large, large number, large percent of the population kind of has this like, this episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th Anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. You know, if, if I found myself with a spare 10 years, I might get into chess. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of have that feeling of like chess is sort of, it holds its place in the culture, I think, that is like this. Isn't that it would be cool to be good at it. And I think most people feel that. Yeah. And but like they they experimented with the you know, I put it in the same bucket as like learning that elusive second language. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like, like yeah. go and Duolingo for like you know, which people are doing quite effectively now. But I think chess feels like somewhat more insurmountable, or like just because there's so much talk about prodigies, you don't you don't hear about like someone being a prodigious Italian speaker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's something that's achievable, really. Yeah, dedication. But to be really good at chess sort of seems like the one of the final frontiers of. Um, kind of developed. Yeah, like there's also a brutality to the game. Um, like it's deeply unforgiving, uh, which is part of what I what I really like about it. Um, but it's the space where you could be having an amazing game and make one mistake and suddenly you lose. Like it's not even close. Uh, but like when you're a beginner, like you are just going to get your butt kicked like over and over and over again. And who wants to do that? Like why did you want to put up with that? Um. Because every now and then you kick someone else's butt too. Uh, how, how good does that feel? It, it feels pretty good, uh, especially early. Like uh, early chess has got this like you you, you, you capture glimmer, like little glimpses of beauty in amongst like the miasma of your horrible mistakes, uh, which is pr- probably <laughs> a, a symbolism for life somewhere. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, or a Schwarzenegger movie. Or a Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's like there's something kind of compelling about it, and 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 it makes you confront um, how your brain works in a way that we don't often get to. 
Uh, like there's no hidden information. Like there is a an honesty when you screw up in a chess game. The answer was there. Like there's there was nothing hidden. There's no dice rolls. There's no no one's pulling an ace on you. The, the sequence of moves that led to you screwing that up. All of the information was there. And that means the thing that stopped you from doing that was yourself. And there's no one else you can put the blame on. There's nothing else you can do about that. And that confronting of your limitations, I think, is intoxicating. I see a very interesting um, allegorical connection, if you will, to stoicism and philosophy and sort of what are the things we can control and how can we get the best out of ourselves in any given situation yeah absolutely and speaking my language uh the yeah stoic kind of ideal and that was one of the things that i think i enjoyed about it early is it became a testing ground from stoicism for me um because it's chess is also an infinitely frustrating game in a way that a lot of games aren't because exactly that reason like the information was there if you screwed up that's on you and there is a frustration and like an anger that comes with that <laughs> And, uh, but yeah. Did the Stoics play chess? Do we know that? Um, I don't think it was around then, at least in Greece then. It might, it might have just been the, the perfect chop out for them. Yeah. The perfect <laughs> yeah. hobby. Really. Absolutely. Just yeah. their principles. It, yeah. It would have made them come like face to face with their own emotions. Like, absolutely. And uh, you don't have to actually be in war to, you know, to, yeah. to absorb a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Or practice it. Yeah, it's it's a uh, if there is if there is something wrong, like not wrong, but if you have difficulties uh, controlling like your emotion in the face of adversity or in the face of mistakes, like any any mindset uh, uh, flaws or weaknesses that you have, you will experience them over a chessboard. Uh, I think golf is actually similar. Like obviously yeah. very different, but I used to play golf and I could not control my emotions. Yeah. Like when you're having a bad day on the golf course, there are so many things that it could be that you're not getting right. Yeah. And you're like, obviously like you turn the blame on yourself because you know that you're the only one responsible for yeah. it. But as your mind state degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, needless to say, I do not play golf anymore, but yeah, yeah. I do enjoy stoicism. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, very different in ways too. But so, did you get in your early stage chess games? Mm. What kind of hooked you? What was your kind of moment of wow? This is really for me the thing. Um, can't really remember. I know. I know. I lucked out early, uh, which makes my like rating graph look really weird. Uh, but basically, when you sign up for one of the chess websites, you create an account and you get stuck at around, say, 1,200 ratings. So there's chess's ratings, like a number that's applied. The higher the number, the better. To give you an idea, like grandmasters, uh, like 2,500 and up, that kind of idea. Most players between eight and 1,200. Um, when you sign up for account at chess.com, they just, like, arbitrarily start you at 1,200. And then you get, say, 10, like your first 10, 15 games, they will... Um, depending on you, how you win or how you lose those games, we'll like try and adjust your rating to where you theoretically are. Yep. Uh, and I had this really strange experience when I started where like my first four games were against rather strong opponents. One of them played two moves and let his time run out, so I won that game. Another one played absolutely chaotically and stupidly and me having no idea how to play chess managed to beat him. Wow. Uh, 
And these are people that were like 16, 1700. So my rating was like super inflated. Uh, and then I came crashing down. Maybe, to maybe that's how they hook everyone. Maybe they give you a taste. Maybe, maybe they yeah. serve you up to like disheveled people. <laughs> who are, like you know, they're, they're probably really good at chess, but they're just instructed. Look, just play a move, then go to the toilet for forty minutes and yeah. see, see what happens. Yeah. Like, just just help the platform out. You know? Yeah. So maybe yeah. So like that, that that process of just being like very confused, and then and then the the massive reality check that comes afterwards of like the loss, 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 and yes. I'm like well, way down. Um. But you push through that. You, you must. Have, there must have been something about your makeup or your love of the game that was like, I am going to, as um, a therapist has said to me before, sit in the shit. Yeah. Uh, until things improve. Yeah, I, I think it might be. I'm or, trying, or trying to, to try and figure out sort of what what is what are the answers? What some yeah. of the answers, What might some of the answers be? I, like I've spoken so much about my HS experience after I made the decision to approach it differently. But until that decision, like I haven't actually thought about that in a while. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's let's dip into that maybe. I mean, yeah. So, w- what is the obviously chess has been studied for thousands of years, absolutely, yeah. um, and everything like there's books, there's everything, yeah. strategies, every strategy basically imaginable has been mapped out by somebody, and pretty much you know, all the yeah. great chess players, Kasparov, etc., have written books about you know what yeah. to do, what not to do, principles, blah blah blah. And now you got computers coming along and like destroying yeah. all of that yeah. century in a project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, half man, half machine. Yeah, um, devouring the competition, deep blue. Um, so what? made you think that you could do something very differently um, to really change the way this is done, given all that had become before you? I didn't know it was different was the main thing. Um, I Yeah, so, like, I was bad and uh, wanted to get better and this was kind of a side thing while I was trying to build something else at the time, another business at the time. So you weren't. So at the mo- at this point, it's yeah. not a business. No, it's just something I'm doing. To you just want to get better at your hobby. Yeah, and like it was COVID, and I know there's something I I do in uh, times of like uncertainty or stress or whatever. Is I, I a little bit overcommit to something where there is a like a a number, like some like some kind of like very clear indicator of improvement or growth. Uh, so COVID, obviously, things are chaotic. Um, I'd left my job and got a retail and a hospital job to replace it. And then suddenly COVID hits and things are tricky in a lot of areas. And uh, so I think I kind of like gravitated this idea of like having a number that I could see go up. And that would tell me that at least in this area of my life, I'm growing. I, I think that's interesting because that's so common. Like when I talk to people about that, have they coped during COVID? Yeah. I, I know for myself, it was like, um, how is my heart rate? How is my running? Yeah. Like, am I improving at my exercise? In in periods where we have so little control over external environment in our lives, yeah. I think it's such a wise strategy to turn to, like, in the data-driven world we live in, like, what can we actually improve in? Yeah, some kind of, like, objective yeah, objective thing that you can look at and you can't tell yourself that you're not improving in some way. On well, that. you're not in stasis. Yeah. So, there, so, so yeah. something is improving yeah. um, that you're causing to improve. Yeah. And that's something incredibly validating on, I think, a human level about that. Yeah. Because uh, I think as people, we, we're geared for improvement. I mean, we would... Um, you know, just just through evolution, we wouldn't be here unless our ancestors yeah. were driven to improve. Exactly, and yeah. were the ones who didn't get eaten by the tigers. <laughs> yeah, like so. we're, we're built for growth. All life yeah. is built for growth. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I find that quite an adaptive response, really. So you fixated on the improvement. Yeah, I fixated on the improvement and seeing that number go up, and um, and it wasn't going up very fast. <laughs> um, not fast enough. Not fast enough for, for like, what you would like. Yeah, for the amount of like um, like I suppose the amount that I needed it to go up yep. at that time, and also um, I I had kind of cobbled together this sort of I wasn't calling it a methodology or anything at that point, but from books I'd read and experience I'd done, experiments I'd run with various things, I was sort of I'd cobbled together this approach to learning, which is um, in a large part based on the work of Josh Waitzkin or Tim Ferriss and Josh Kaufman, those guys. And, um, and I had had some success doing things with it in the past. Using their sorts of principles? Or yeah, approaches? kind of using their principles and applying things that I'd discovered as well. Yeah. Uh, and so I was... Um, I wanted to see that number go up in chess and it's not like there was much else happening. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, how about I just like give this a full like uh, conscious crack? What if I uh, pretended like nothing about chess learning that has ever been taught existed? What would I do if I was starting from scratch using this kind of method I'd cobbled together and, and uh, a bunch of research and stuff later, like a few days of that and, looking into things and discovered this power of visualization. Um, so the ability to see a board in your head, hold a board in your head, and and in doing so, kind of the raw skill that allows you to calculate and see the future in a chess game. I realized just how important that was and how all the top players were talking about that, but also how basically no one was talking about how to teach it. Uh, the kind of prevailing idea was that you um, – get good at visualization passively while you get good at everything else. So it just sort of builds around the other skills. Yeah, so the main idea is like, yeah, you study your opening, you study your end games, you study your tactics. and The mid-game. The mid-game, that stuff, you learn all of that stuff. And as you go, as you play games, as you do puzzles, you'll eventually build visualization skills. And there is something to be said for that method. It's worked for every grandmaster in history. Um, but I wanted to approach it differently. <laughs> Did you make a realisation at that point that actually visualisation was the main game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that the big insight? That was the big insight. Um, was kind of looking at it all and uh, the fact that all of the absolute top players were saying this is the most important part of the, of the game, but then you look at courses and books and no one's talking about it. Or if it is, it's like an afterthought. Um and you were probably thinking, I mean, I imagine knowing you a little bit that you were thinking, why isn't anyone talking about visualization? Like, how do I actually do this visualization better and yeah. mark some improvement in it? I um, I just kind of went, yeah, I mean, exactly that. I was like, what would happen if I focused on that? Like, if it's the most important skill, surely I should be focusing on that now. Like, 80-20 yeah. rule. Like, yep. if this is going to give me most of my improvement, why am I leaving this up to chance? What's the 80-20 rule? Uh, 80-20 rule, the um, Pareto principle, the idea that um, 80% of outcomes uh, are directly connected to 20% of inputs, I think is the way of putting it. But in this case, in the case of learning, uh, generally with any skill, there is like 20% or less of the parts of that skill that if you master those things, you will get 80% or more of the growth Yes. That comes out of that skill. Terrific. Everything else is like window dressing. So is that, do you apply that in a lot of your life generally? Is that what you look for when you yeah. try to learn things? As much as possible, yeah. 
always trying to think of like what's like a Greg McEwen essentialism idea, like what's essential, what what is actually um, moving things forward and and always making that um, judgment about time and what I'm learning and what media I'm taking in and all that kind of stuff. I guess it's like about sort of being strategic and deliberate and intentional about how you use time. Yeah, as much as I can be. <laughs> it's, um, again, the rabbit hole thing. Uh, so, so once you nail visualisation as your essential or your 2080 mm. split thing, um, what's the next step? I um, I went, okay, well, what is there out there that teaches it? And um, I saw a video of, uh, it was Hikaru Nakamura getting asked that question, how do you, how do you teach visualisation, how do you train visualisation? He said blindfold chess, uh, which is fine. That absolutely makes sense. If you're a, if you can play blindfold chess, that's a great way of doing it. But blindfold chess is really hard um, because it's for those that don't know, it's it's playing an entire game of chess without seeing a board, literally blindfolded. <clears throat> um, and I tried it on the computer or against someone else. Um, can I was, you do it on the computer? You kind of can. Uh, you can now. I built like a tool for it. Like where you just wrap the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's tricky. Like um, you're just doing a crane with like this black blindfold on. And yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. And just like with your toes, you're moving the pieces around. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's 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 exactly what it is. You nailed it, Mike. Well done. <laughs> you're uh, well off piece here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they are. It's. It's. I don't. I don't want to go sort of too noodly into it, but a lot of the things that were blindfold chess simulators online don't really do the job. Um, they sort of boil down to a, you can see a picture of a board, but all the pieces are invisible, which does some of the work, but doesn't do all the work. It's like, okay, if I'm going to distill this, I'm going to say <laughs> they're telling you about the things without telling you how to do the things. Yes. So, so, cause I know that you like me are interested in metacognition. So yeah. the, the art of thinking about how you think, yeah, and so I take it that these people who are online are not telling you about the thinking about how to think; they're just telling you what happens in what they do. Yeah, to, to a to a large extent, yeah. and and um. This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends' fifth anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Uh, so, so yeah, when, when Hikaru says blindfold chess, I believe him. I believe him that blindfold chess is a really powerful way to train this. But it's not going to work for me at, <laughs> like, my level where I can barely see two moves ahead without yeah. getting fuzzy. Uh, so I needed to come up with something else. And I it seemed like a, a very simple logical step for me I, like this next bit I'm still stunned that any of this anything that's happened since this moment has occurred basically because I went well okay You're well surprised that this is an innovation or a yeah I, innovation. I honestly don't I can't believe it yeah. um that I kind of went all right well if blindfold chess is really hard how about I isolate the part of blindfold chess that is the visualization part if I isolate that and remove all of the decisions remove all of the all of that part, and I just 
listen to somebody reading the moves of a game and I try and follow along in my head. That's all I, I was like, okay, that seems like a logical thing to do. It seemed like a logical step. Well, it's quite brilliant, though, because you've isolated something that nobody else is concentrating on. You've said this is the main thing that's going to help people excel, like 80-20 thinking, and then you've taken an isolationist approach. So let's just remove everything else yeah. and just try and get this part nailed down, right? Yeah, isolate and intensify yes. is uh, what I call it. We want to, when we're training, when we're learning anything, when we identify one of these master skills, we want to isolate it as best we can from all the other parts of the skill. So it still has its context. Like, like I'm not going to learn chess visualization by picturing Da Vinci paintings. Like, that's not going to help. Like, it's, they're both still <laughs> visualization. I, I could mean, try. You learn a lot about art, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, so you've got to isolate it with context uh, and then intensify it. You want to train it in a way that is far more difficult than you'll ever actually need in context. So when you go back to the context, it's easy. So for chess visualization, that's like when I sit there and I work my brain and I try and like my first time I ever did it, I recorded um, a 25 move game because I'm a lunatic. <laughs> uh, and I fell off by move two. So first two moves of the game played and I got fuzzy. I couldn't, couldn't track it anymore. I was like, okay, wait, 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 what, what, what did that, what's that pawn do now? What does the knight do now? I'm confused. Uh, so I listened back to it again and I got to move three, then four, then by the end of about 10 minutes, I got about move seven. I thought it was a total failure because I didn't get anyone near 25. But without really realizing it, I had tripled the distance I could see into that game with no visual reference. It was just all in my head. I was like, well, that was a fun experiment for 10 minutes. I'm going to go play some games. And like, it was astounding. That was like my brain after having to focus so hard to track an entire board. When I was like sitting and looking at a chessboard, it was... My brain was going, oh, I was relieved. Like things that were previously difficult for me were like, oh my goodness, is this all I have to do? Thank goodness. <laughs> I was like, I just need to remember the knight's moved and the bishop goes there. Awesome. And I was seeing things like three, four moves ahead that I would have no chance. I was spotting threats that I would have missed. I wasn't what they call hanging my queen in one move. So I wasn't like <laughs> moving my queen to a spot thinking I'm so clever and then my queen gets taken for free. Uh which happens a lot for beginner level players. Uh, if you're a chess player, you know what I mean. Um, they, uh, that stuff sort of stopped. Uh, and so I just kept doing this daily. And like, before I recorded my own stuff, though, I went looking for it. I Googled it. I was like, okay, this is a very, seems like a very straightforward leap. It doesn't, like, it doesn't even feel like a leap. It feels like a, the next step of thinking. And nobody was doing it. And I was like, Why? Uh, and then I, yeah, recorded my stuff, felt that energy, felt that kind of shift in clarity, um, and then got awesome results off the back of that. Yeah. Tell us about your, um, sort of the, the drastic improvement that you experienced. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, rated, just to give you an eye, so to be look at percentages are probably the easiest thing to look at. Yep. Uh, at my lowest, uh, I was bottom 10% of the world as far as chess.com stats are concerned. So bottom 10% of the world. Uh, within nine months, I was top 6% of the world, um, which for those who understand chess ratings uh, is sort of around 750 to up around 1,500, so doubling my rating. Um, 
in a space of nine months. And that is considered huge growth. Um, a lot of people, and I was looking at the forums and stuff because I was like, okay, is this big growth? And I was seeing a lot of people on Reddit talking about like congratulating each other for going up 200 points yep. in that kind of rating range in a year. I'm going, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> like, is this, is this, this a big deal? Um, and now I've had other people with similar methods like get similar results uh, using kind of the system and, and the methods approach. So it's sort of in a very strange, confused way stumbled into this kind of um, hidden detail. And uh, so seeing this, the forums and the response and sort of your own improvement, don't see until you move it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't move until you see it. Yeah, sorry, don't move until. That's you right. See it. Either works. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, they, uh, yeah, it's just been. Uh, I don't even know really exactly how to explain. It. Just I, 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 it's been such a strange couple of years. <laughs> um, like but you, there must have been a moment like where this this can be something. Like, yeah, uh, I originally, so I'm like, okay the majority if the majority of chess players are between 800 and 1200 rating and I jumped from 700 to 1500, then I have something to offer the majority of chess players. Yeah. Uh, and that was all my thinking was like, I can help people get to this level. Uh, most people would be happy with getting up to around 1500, like it's top 6% of the world. It doesn't seem that high when you're a chess player, but it's like percentage wise, it's actually a big deal. I think top 6% of the world in anything sounds astounding. Yeah, exactly. I just think most people that are like 1,500 and higher don't realize that's where they are. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of elitism and, and like, if you don't have a title, why are you talking in chess? Like, there's oh, a lot like of that kind of vibe. Master. Yeah, if you don't have, like, master in a title somewhere. And, uh, but, like, the people that have master in a title, like, the top 0.8% of the world maybe. And uh, we should feel good about being in the top. Oh, yeah. Whatever percentage, like. I think you should wear, like, a, a pendant or a medal or some, <laughs> some, some kind of special hat. I think, I think a hat a special would be hat. Good. I'm on board with the special hat. I think hat. a special hat for, like, master or grandmaster would be nice. Like, yeah. just a headdress of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> just gets bigger, depending on, like, who you're rating. You win a game, someone adds a couple. More inches. exotic feathers. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. I, I, would, I would love to see those tournaments. Yeah. Magnus Carlsen comes out with this <laughs> huge headdress and a massive like trail behind him. So it becomes a it becomes an offering really because you start blogging, you start writing, you start to develop um, online content modules yeah. and programs. You start broadcasting a bit about what you're doing and where have you got up to? Um, it's yeah. So I started. Um, my first question was, what do I do with this? Like getting it out there, and, yeah. and I discovered. Um, Andre Chaperon, his stuff, um, tiny little businesses and very like ethical, um, permission first, value first approach to marketing. And I had always kind of hated marketing, sort of felt that it was a little sleazy and all that. And, and Andre and Sean, their kind of approach to things and they're kind of taking it sort of made me realize that I have something that can help a lot of people. And my goal with those people is first to build a relationship and build that trust and never abuse that trust and then kind of let that eventually maybe turn into a sale or not, but like, remove the transactional element from, from relationships. Provo so, provide value. Yeah, and that kind of gave me the framework um, that I've built everything so far. Um, 
so yeah, so I started doing that and building that up and, uh, and then I started, uh, as you call it in our conversation the other day, swashbuckling. <laughs> uh, and it's, I my, it's my new favorite expression. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of swashbuckling lately. Yeah, fantastic. So I just started like cold emailing people. Um, I found a great uh, like templates, kind of the wrong word, but like example of what a good cold email looks like from Noah Kagan. He posted something on LinkedIn or something. I was like, oh, and that became the format for everything since then. And I just started talking to people and, uh, I realized one day I could contact a bunch of master level players on Fiverr, uh, like, and just people who like are offering coaching and I could pay them for a coaching session, but instead of getting coaching, I can show them what I do. <laughs> uh, I love that. That's so clever. <laughs> just so I did that. And how'd uh, that go? Like what were your initial reactions from these people? Cause they're, you know, turning the tables on someone is like quite a bold move. <laughs> I was like, I kind of, I kind of gave them a heads up that the table term was coming. Um, basically the, the message I'd send them was like, Hey, I've got something a little, little unorthodox. Uh, and it was the first big realization that people were open to it. Um, cause it was very much something I was, I was concerned about. Cause like, like I been, I picked up chess two years ago at that point, I picked up chess like a year ago Yeah, and I was sending messages to master level players that had been doing it since they're six saying, I have something new. <laughs> Like, yes, and there's like, there's a level of like, there's an audacity to it. Yeah. There's, there's like, a, who the hell am I to say that? Uh, and so I think it's, it's a, even a little bit more real than imposter syndrome. Like there, there is very much a, a it, piece It's there. very difficult because you, you, you're in this bind where you really have to kind of balance humility and audacity, mm. which might be the hardest thing to do for entrepreneurs <laughs> uh, in a new space, really. It's, that's been a big challenge. Um, uh, I think... Uh, a couple of things have worked in my favor. One is that everything that I do with the visualization training helps everything everyone else does. So if people are better at visualizing, then they're going to get more value out of X person's openings course. So it's like a force multiplier kind of play. Kind of. Yeah. It's uh, so like people don't, I think, see what I do as a threat in any way. Uh, in any way, it, it, it sort of sort of helps them. It's a helpful addition rather than a mm. replacement theory kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and I spent a long time trying to work out like how I position this. <laughs> like, is this a replacement theory? Is this a whole? So you're someone who do- isn't a conventional marketer, but who seems to really understand um, the true usefulness of the things behind marketing, and then to have leaned into that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is Andre and Sean's stuff. Yeah. Um, so much just about really about position, about really understanding who this helps uh, on a very uh, kind of high level where like specifically also understanding who this is not for. Yeah. But like bring you back to marketing theory, isn't marketing theory just about how do we best connect something that will help people with that thing? Uh, Shouldn't that be the kind of goal? I think so. Uh, But it's slightly more nuanced, I think, than, Definitely. From that mean, kind I mean, of framing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's pretty much like un- understanding who the person is for, uh, so who the product is for, what the product, how it helps them in some way, what kind of state they're trying to get to, and how that'll help their life in, in some way. Like help them impress themselves is the main thing I want to go for. Because um, uh, for me, improvement in chess was at a time when I was where things were uncertain and we're all in lockdown, like 
having this big jump was it was a big point of like, oh, wow, I can do this, like impressing myself with how my brain operates, being being surprised in a game of chess with what my brain can do, like in real time. How do the masters and the grandmasters or anyone of that caliber respond once you tell them about this? Uh, awesomely, actually. It's, that's, that's been the, uh, or the awesome part. Like, <clears throat> I, um, I can imagine that you might have felt that they would feel like, who is this new doofus and yeah. what, what could he possibly have to offer? I was expecting to be shot down every turn. Uh, and like the worst response I've gotten is like someone going, I don't have the time to look at this. Like that's, that's, that, that's the worst that's response. That's so not bad. No, exactly. That's, yeah. that's like wonderful. It's like yeah. super honest. I prefer yeah. that than yeah. chasing them around. Uh, the, the people that have, I like, have had some negative reaction to people. Those are generally people who aren't that strong at chess, who are just like really bought into the way it's always been done. Uh, and Traditionalists. I knew, yeah, exactly. Uh, and the, when I set out, I knew that was going to be a thing. Um, a lot of my marketing is actually like I front load the fact that this is very unorthodox. I front load that I don't have a title. I front load that I picked up chess two years ago so that anyone who this isn't for, like the traditionalists, people are like, and like more power to them. Like if that's, if they feel amazing doing that, if they're getting the results, they want doing that, keep doing that. Like, um, but I, as, as soon as possible, I go, this might not be for you. Let's go our separate ways at this point. And yeah, it's so good. It's so, it's so clean and effective. Mm. But so the masters and the grandmasters are impressed. Have any of them opted to sort of use or trial your, your system? Yeah. Yeah. So it started with the Fiverr contacts, reaching out to people on Fiverr. And, uh, and out of that, I got uh, contact, connected with a bunch of people, uh, but one of whom uh, is a WFM from Croatia. Uh, and she's... What's uh, WFM? WFM is a woman's FIDE master. Okay. So that's master level player, kind of a out of the master ranks. It's kind of like a mid rank. Okay. Um, the absolute top being grandmaster, then you've got a few other ones. Yeah. A few lower as well. So it's somewhere kind of in the kind of middle tier of master players. So very, very good player. And we say they're damn good at chess. They're damn, they're damn good at okay. chess. Yeah. <laughs> and have been doing it for a very long time. And I approached her... Um, Basically, to sort of go, you're a coach. Uh, do you see, could you see this being of use for your students? And that was the framing of the conversation. And that was the thing I wanted to kind of get with her. And, and uh, as that conversation went on, she, like not even as it went on, like very quickly, she was very excited about what this could do for her chess. Like not her students' chess, her chess. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, and then she's been using it like every day since. It's like she, double validation of the concept. Yeah. Two, seg- two segments. Really. Two, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and she um, used it and trained it and uh, was trained with it and <clears throat> sent me wonderful feedback, says that, uh, and she went undefeated in the last tournament uh, wow. and thinks that Using the, the system really helped to do that. Fantastic. Uh, so that's been insane. And, <laughs> and so I've realized that, and I've had a few other title players come through and try it and, and feel the difference in their chess as well. And that's like I, I still don't fully comprehend that. <laughs> like that's tremendous. So it's uh, that's been kind of crazy, and that gave me the confidence, obviously, then to go to like the next tier of people and try and kind of contact YouTubers and streamers. And, um, so now you're doing the circuit really because you're now talking. You're, you're on um, YouTube. You're doing a few things, a bit of streaming, a bit of Twitch and whatnot. Mm. You've got coaches. Um, 
and, you know, really qualified master level people using your techniques. You've got great testimonials. You've got a package, a subscription package. Or, yeah. Yep. So people can actually go on and, you know, buy in and use your um, techniques and then report back to you how they're going. Yeah. What are your ambitions sort of now and for the future? Um, I want to keep uh, building this out and, and sort of spreading the, the message, I suppose. Um, there's a lot of players of chess out there that are very frustrated with their plateaus. And, and visualization is this raw skill that so few people know that they, should, that they can train. Yep. That's going to help them. Like wherever you're at in your game, like, I mean, there might not be much I can teach world champion Magnus Carlsen, but this visualization training method will stretch the visualization skills of people at most levels of the game. Um, and that, that'll help you in like whatever you do. And that's on the chess level. That's kind of the ambition is to get that out to as many people as I can and have them come in and continue to build that community and that kind of, uh, message in chess. Uh, but kind of on a longer term piece, my kind of, um, this episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends' fifth anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. You suppose there's the goal and there's kind of the mission. Uh, and so the way you kind of look at things, I mean, you would know that father and I would. Uh, and the goal is to obviously build a successful chess business. The mission is to help people realize that they can learn things at kind of rapid speeds. That's it's a thing that you can do. You can achieve these improvement. You just need a different method. Just through visualization? Um, with chess, visualization helps a lot. Uh, there's kind of two parts of chess. There's the skill element and the knowledge element. Visualization by itself isn't going to give you the knowledge element. It'll give you the raw skill to help you accumulate the knowledge element much faster. Uh, but visualization training alone um, will, if you're low rated, will absolutely help to a point, but it will start tapping out without also having other elements to your game. Okay. So for you, I feel as though this is a current rabbit hole that you're still very much uh, <laughs> enjoying. It will keep descending down. Yeah. There's a lot of progress to be made and this is your business is killing it and it's, it's just an amazing offering that you've got. What I'm interested in is your interest in how to learn better, yeah. metacognition, uh, using various techniques. Do you see applications in other fields for the way that you're approaching things that you might address in future? Or oh, absolutely, yeah. Like I, it, I, this has a sense of the path at this point. Um, uh, don't move until you see it, the kind of chess arm of this. Uh is only using the first chapter, I think, of all of this. Because when I hear what you're saying, I think there must be a lot of people listening to this, including myself, who are thinking, we live in a really complex world mm. um, and strategy and management and leadership is often compared to 4D chess. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of space for a lot of people. Uh, I think a big part of it is um, we, in order to, like, most people 
How do I want to frame this? We don't relearn how to learn unless we make a conscious effort to do so. We seek out the books, we do that kind of stuff. I would even say we only learn how to learn once at a really yeah. rudimentary basic level that isn't really consistent with how people of many different types operate in the real world. Yeah. Um, and we have to relearn how to relearn without focusing on that actual process at all. Yeah. And there's very little reflection on that. Exactly. It's kind of like reading the same deal. Like yeah. We learn how to read once and then we never revisit it. Yep. But there's a huge uh, We're going to spend so much of our life doing it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of, even as a sort of like an example of that, like people just do audio books or don't read. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is hard. Um, I only learned how to do it once this way. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not do it anymore. Yeah. And, like, and our brains change. Like, uh, in school, like, the ways we're taught to learn are kind of optimized for when we're kids. Yeah. Um, when you're a kid, you can learn by rote. Like, you can learn just, like, simple repetition without context. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and kids will do that. Kids are sponges for that my, stuff. My five-month-old loves it. We read him the same book every night. Yeah. And no matter what, he was grizzling a lot last night. He was in a terrible mood. And then um, the book comes out and it Big smiles. Nice. At the end of every sentence. Wonderful. He knows what's coming. Yeah. It's just like cause and effect happening. <laughs> it's like, oh, I know this. This is comfortable. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it's And, yeah, we don't kind of re-examine our learning process again afterwards. Yeah. But after a certain point, that stops working. Like in our brains, that stops working. Uh, or at least it's significantly less effective than it was. Especially in like an information-dense, like I cannot breathe because everyone's trying to push different yeah. articles down my throat. Society, like, yeah. like I don't even have enough time every day to read all my emails, um, <laughs> let alone absorb interesting information. I had to yeah. cut, cut back all my news subscriptions, so I've only got the New York Times now. Yeah, um, had to cut back the Economist. I've got the Age, but I mean, I can barely make time to enjoy that content. Yeah, so you know, I think there's a lot to be said for different techniques to be better at things that don't just involve, you know, spending a bulk of time on on. Um, you know, maybe tired approaches that we don't yeah. actually know yield that much benefit. We just assume they do. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of kind of stagnancy as we age, and um, a lot of I think a lot of the energy of life comes from improving in something and learning something new. And if our methods for doing that are based on how our brains worked when we were kids, and haven't been adapted or updated since. That's a recipe for disaster. I agree. And I would even go as far as to say, you know, the male brain doesn't stop um, form. It's not fully formed until you're 26. Mm. And if you've only learned how to learn until you're about maybe just say university, like 24 or 25. Yeah. But life also isn't like university. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like what's supposed to happen then once it's all concrete and solidified. Yeah. And then you haven't actually introspected or reflected on any of the ways of doing things. And then you're just like, wow, this is nothing that I learned. Uh, I'm really screwed for a few years. Yeah. And you kind of spend what I would call like the wandering years (laughs) of of like your mid-20s to your early 30s trying to figure out what the hell am I doing and like what is this bizarre place I'm in. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like navigating society. And like I was there, you know, I spent a lot of my years just trying to figure out, wow, I'm a bit neuroatypical, but I'm also like typical enough to know that the stuff I learned has not helped me. Yeah. Um, so this sort of puts you in this interesting spot, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, um, there's a great uh, thing that I think about daily. Uh, is that the ancient Greeks didn't consider you an adult until you were 30. 
which in our modern society seems like horribly late. Oh, yeah. But as I'm approaching 30, I feel it. Like I totally understand. Well, Aiden, I can tell you something that from my perspective, um, I only started to feel human when I hit 30. Yeah. <laughs> Not even adult. Yeah. Um, but as I've approached my mid to my wife tells me later 30s, <laughs> thank you, Louise, um, you know, you certainly feel a bit more formed and, you know, mm. I, I actually think I'm going to be a little bit, um, go out on a limb and say for me, I think you only really learn kind of a lot about yourself once you've had a kid as well. Yeah. Like that's a major milestone and people don't talk about that a lot. But, but I think like um, you, you when you have a kid, it's like a reflection or a mirror into who you are currently and yeah. who you want to be more than you can ever kind of jot down or kind of think about and visualise and it's just really interesting. I mean, I every time I think I'm at a place where I feel like I know myself quite well, yeah, I realise I don't know myself at all. Is it that process of knowing that the way that you define yourself, the way you carry yourself, that the actions you take, that that in some way is flowing into another vessel? Is that cause that kind of is is that the kind of catalyst for that very um, yeah? I think introspective view uh, on it. Yeah, I, I I just think like it's it's a good way. Like a good way to approach life is to think that you may always be the dumbest person in your life oh, I love it. and yeah. in the room. So that'll make sure that you keep learning about yourself and yeah. others. And I've always, probably because my own lack of self-esteem, thought that I was the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. Um, and that's helped me a lot. Um, but it's also helped me going through the things that I have in my life to really introspect and think, you know, um, am I fully formed? Mm. And it's always no. And, yeah. I, and I hope it's always no until I'm dead. Yeah, when we want it to be. I yes. Think, yeah. I think life should, you know, you shouldn't be so sure about who you are or what you can offer or, you know, like what the world is. Yeah. Uh, it should change all the time. If it's not changing, you're not growing. And I think a lot of people, the trap they fall into is, oh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm 25, I've got a kid, I've got a great job, you know. Yeah. Clearly I get the world and I'm <laughs> yeah. doing great at it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, but no one gets the world. It's You can't get the world. Mm. I mean, you're just a you're, – you're, 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 you're journeying inside this crazy place and we're all just trying to figure out um, where we sit. And um, one line that I particularly like is uh, – we're all just walking each other home. It's a, a rum dust quote. So I love it. I'll go a little bit. I'll, I'll match your Greek f- philosophy with a bit of New Age spirituality. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you know, taking care of ourselves and each other is a very important thing, but also realizing that we we know nothing, which mm. is very Greek. If I was to get a tattoo, it would be from uh, the first Alcibiades, uh, which is I'm probably going to do it at some point, but it's in the inner of my left arm. I want to put, have you forgotten that you don't know this? Yeah, you told me that. And I think yeah. that's one of the best things I've ever heard. Um, I think that's a great expression. Can you just reflect on what that means to you? It's, um, <clears throat> it's for me, it's it's a reminder for humility. It's a, remi- oh, it's a reminder for so many things. It's it's a reminder that when we disagree with something, we, we probably don't understand it on a certain level. It's a reminder that. Um, have you forgotten that you don't? Yeah, have you forgotten that you do not know this? Yeah. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant yeah. <laughs> quote. Who said that? Uh, oh, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it might have been, might have been Aristotle, yeah. uh, whoever the author for the first Alcibiades is. Um, but it's, yeah, the, the author's name, whichever particular philosopher it was, has slipped my mind, but the line has stayed. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a reminder that it's a positive and 
it's both empowering and a reality check for me when I am uh, nervous or like when I'm about to reach out to somebody with as much like legendary statuses as like Bruce Pandolfini, the legendary chess coach had a movie made, had a movie made about him. Yep. Um, when I'm about to reach out to this guy and say, Hey, I found a new way to learn chess. Uh, my brain might give me the, like, well, this isn't going to go well or whatever. Um, and then have I forgotten that I do not know this? Like, I don't know how it's going to go. I've got no idea. So I might as well just. Oh, that's great. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, that, that use of it. Yeah. It's like, it's both a, an empowering thing and a hum, like uh, humbling thing. Mm. Uh, and both at the same time. That's, that's why it resonates so heavily with me is because like we, on a, to get really metaphysical, like on a very, very basic level, we didn't understand. We don't know for sure anything. Yeah. Uh, like someday, and it will probably happen at some point in the next hundred years, someone's going to come up with something probably attached to quantum physics in some way uh, that fundamentally changes how we understand everything. Yeah, I want somebody to to solve the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. And then, I'll, <laughs> then, then I'll stop podcasting and just relax and just probably go live in a, um, a small uh, yeah. <laughs> like, rural farm. Yeah, you know, clap your hands like I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Going to make done. grow organic veggies now. I'm good. Let, let's understand consciousness and uh, and free will, and then we can all just do yeah. our own thing and be very satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I'll have to come back to you with what my tattoo would be, but yeah, I would love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think I think a permanent segment on this show would, should now be what is your one tattoo? What's the one on tattoo you get? Yeah. yeah, or or on your left and right arm. Yeah, that one's very much. Um, I've been thinking about it constantly since I discovered Stoicism and Ryan Holiday. Tell you a good one that I, yeah. someone I know quite well has, a question mark on both shoulder. Oh, that's cool. So, Like it's a little bit the Riddler. It could uh, be the Riddler. It could be the Riddler. But it could be like that search for knowledge. Yeah. It could be like, you know, do I know that I don't know? Yeah. You know, like it could be many things, but I think there's just a certain um, implicit thing in there that um, there are more questions than answers all yeah. the time. And really the, the secret to growth is not searching for answers but the right questions. Yeah. Maybe for me, for me is a big one. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, that's something I, I follow um, Merlin Mann a lot. He's a massive uh, influence in kind of the work he's done. Um, over the years, massive influence for me, and that's something he grapples with quite constantly. I can't quite remember the quote off the top of my head. but You know the Einstein one's the famous one. If, if I had an hour, I'd spend um, – uh, rather than trying to come up with an answer, I'd spend um, 55 minutes trying to come up with the right question. Yeah. Yeah, I love five it. Five minutes trying to find the answer to that find question. Find the answer to that question, yeah. I think, I think Merlin's one is something like, I'd rather be defined by a good question than a terrific answer or something. Oh, that's good too. Um, it's something along those lines. Uh, and I think about that a lot as well. Um, Mate, this has been sensational. We're about to hit the the market, which some people may have other activities to do. And we wish them well in those. Absolutely. Best of luck. You got this. I Best believe in you. Best of luck. We believe in you. Um, get some great tattoos put on your arms. Yeah. Uh, how can people connect with you and learn more about your wonderful work? Yeah. If um, if they are chess inclined, uh, the best place to go is uh, don't move until you see dot it. Um, pretending I'm in Italy for the joke. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you go there, there's a uh, sort of a totally free like five-day course which will introduce you to the method and kind of teach you a bunch of my kind of um, learning methodology principles as well. Yep. 
uh, and available on Facebook and other same sort of stuff. Um, and if people want to, uh, I suspect some people might want to learn more about you and the mm-hmm. way you think and the way that you bring different ways to thinking and visualising yeah. to other areas. Can people connect with you on a personal level to broach some of that? Yeah, they absolutely can. Um, the best place is probably still the same website, but uh, there's a contact form there. Um right. And they can reach out and do that. And this conversation is, is very much reminding me that I really do need to set up a personal website somewhere. Um. <laughs> yeah, it could be in Italy as well. <laughs> yeah, it could be in Italy as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mate, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. And why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.